Coming up, we're joined by Rafael Barlow from the NBA Big Board to discuss next month's draft through the eyes of the Brooklyn Nets. We discuss trading up the board and targeting a point guard such as Anthony Black, Nick Smith Jr., and Rafael also even throws out Kobe Bufkin a little bit later in the round, and even Jalen Hood Shafino. How high has the stock risen for one Derek Lively the second? Why is he out of reach for the Nets? Staying at home at 21 and 22, Ryan Rupert is in the discussion, and we also take a deep dive down into a sleeper pick that yours truly is starting to fall in love with. We break it all down as we prep you for the NBA draft. Coming up next. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes. Welcome to the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. I am Adam Armbrecht, breaking down the New York football giants on the one giant podcast with my boy Andy Mack and your New Jersey Devils on the Devils Puck Luck podcast with Danny McDonough. We thank you for making us your first listen of the day. We're free on all those great platforms and let you know today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First time users can receive a 100% Instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com. Promo code locked on. And as we said at the top, Raphael Barlow, NBA Big Board podcast on YouTube, the newsletter as well. He's one of the best. We enjoyed spending some time with him. Let's dive into that conversation, breaking down point guards, rebounders, and how this Nets team gets better. I know we teased it a lot on the Locked On Nets podcast, but eventually we're going to turn our attention to the NBA draft, and we're going to talk about it throughout this week and the coming weeks. We know a little less than a month away, the Brooklyn Nets and every team in the NBA is going to be trying to improve themselves on draft night. There's already some big rumors around what the Nets could do, and that's why we bring in Rafael Barlow on the NBA Big Board. I'm going to allow him to tell you all of the many places that you can find him and the very busy schedule that he's been on. Man, thank you for a few minutes. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. It's, uh, you know, it's always good to talk basketball. You guys have multiple picks, so I'm not focusing on one first rounder. I That's right. Rain. Yeah. You can't dial in. We need you to really spread your wings and fly. You feel like um, you're getting to a place now in a positive way. When you watch, uh, you know, ESPN or any of these high profile platforms, you have to keep you have to keep one eye on your phone these days now, right? Like you have to be up to speed on what is going on and sometimes breaking the news around a lot of these prospects next month. Um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's obviously the, the, the big platform, but, um, my phone is not as busy as like Shams. I saw like the, the footage of him at the game and his head is down and I talked to him and he said he only sleeps like three hours a day or something like that. So I'm not that busy. I am super busy, but I mean. I just enjoy what I'm doing. <laughs> Talk about it the guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Every time that I speak with you, um, I know that it's just you, you love doing what you're doing, finding yeah. these prospects, getting to go over to Europe sometimes, travel all over the place to kind of scout them. And it, and it really is why when we turn our attention to the draft here for the Brooklyn Nets, there are these three tiers that we want to get to when we think about what they could do. And there's some big rumors about big time trades, and that's for for Doug and I and some other people maybe to hash out because the prospect wise, when I look at this draft board, coming into it, the, the sentiment seems to be there's always those clear-cut couple of guys at the top of the draft that everyone agrees are going to be blue-chip prospects. The way that things tear out right now, if I said the Brooklyn Nets 
have packages around 21 and DFS or 21 and Royce O'Neal, and they want to try to move up the board to make sure they secure a need at the point guard position or a center power forward rebounding prospect. Is there a, a clear cut one or two prospects that you think it's worth it to go after there in that range from say 10 to 12 ish, if there's a team that's willing to trade? Yeah, I mean, 10 to 12-ish, if, if you're looking to address the, the need at at point guard, then, you know, I think a guy like Jalen Hood-Shafino could be in that range. Nick Smith, who was the, the number one, by, by a lot of different publications, the number one college player coming into the season, and he battled some injuries. He was in and out of the lineup with the, they, they called it right knee management but he could be in that late lottery range right outside the lottery. And I mean, there are some concerns if he's really a, a point guard, but I, I think, I think if he were healthy this season, he wouldn't be in that range. We're talking about somebody that probably be in the top six or seven. And, mm-hmm. and so if you are the Nets and you really believe in like the, the film prior to his uh, freshman year at Arkansas, when you know, he was arguably the best player at the Hoop Summit and, and the McDonald's practices. If you move up, you know, you know, in a package and you're able to get him in the late lottery, I think that could be a, a big win for the team. Is there any ability for, for the Nets to look at guys like Anthony Black? Um, you talk about a guy like Taylor Hendricks, if we think about the power forward just rebounding and some lengthy players. There's been some movement from guys that I think were sitting closer to the 20s that are now really pushing up the board and we'll get to them. But top 10, is it worth it to go that extra mile to try to get there if a team's willing to move out to these, you know, a guy like Anthony Black, is he the all-around prospect that you think, yes, it's worth going to get him? Or, is, you know, what's your philosophy when it comes to some of these prospects and trying to attack a particular target in this year's draft class specifically? Well, I always try to look at it from the team standpoint. And the question is, what, what do you do with Ben Simmons? And I, mean, yeah. I know that's a, a huge question. Give me the on answer. Hand, <laughs> Give us the answer. Just tell us what they do. <laughs> on one hand, you want to be optimistic and hope that he returns to, yeah. you know, the, the Ben Simmons that was an all-NBA player. But then on the other hand, you have to wonder what if he doesn't. So, for example, if I'm the Nets and I feel like he will return to form and be the, the primary in a sense, then I think a guy like Nick Smith is a better fit. Mm-hmm. Then Anthony Black, I think with, with Anthony Black, um, I mean, as of right now, the shooting is is still a work in progress. And so I think that the Nets are, I mean, they're not in a rebuild. I know that they're trying to win. And I just think like floor spacing would be really tough with, with Black and, and Simmons on the floor together. So it's, I really feel like their draft has a lot to do with what they believe Ben Simmons will be next year and, yeah. and in the future. And I think that's that puts the team in a really tough predicament. Yeah, because trying to safeguard against the Ben Simmons is not going to be a part of this beyond his contract when they can get out from underneath it. That's one path. Yeah. And you're developing a guy that you hope can come in over the next couple of seasons. Or to your point, you say, oh, we're locked in. Here's a point forward that can ball handle, can set the table, et cetera. So it does make it, as always with the Nets, a little bit more complicated. The other guy you mentioned there, just before we move on to a couple of other names um, that some fans were really interested in hearing about as well. But you mentioned um, Shafino there. What about his game? Because I can look at him as a prospect and think he should be talked about even higher. But depending Mm -hmm. on which board, at least when I've looked around, 
he seems to have a bit of a range in terms of, of where he could go in the draft. How high do you rank him as a prospect, specifically at that guard spot? Yeah, right now I have him just outside the lottery. But I think that he can end up being a lottery pick. I mean, he does have the size. And his game is really suited for the modern NBA. He's very good at attacking attacking bigs and, and, and drop coverage. And he, he's a pretty good shooter off the dribble, more so off the dribble than, than off the catch. So, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up going like 13 or, or something like that or if he falls to 20 or 21. I really feel like in, in this draft, the top five or six guys are set. And then maybe seven through 10 is interchangeable. And then 11 through 15 and maybe even 20 is pretty fluid. Just kind of a, yeah. And so he's in that range to where he can fall, you know, 11 through 15 or 11 through 20. So, um, but I, I do think that he could he could help he could help the Nets, especially with his size and, so and if, his ability to shoot off the dribble. So and then just quickly there, because you said that eleven through maybe all the way to twenty. Is that is that a compliment to the talent level eleven through twenty? Or is that a knock on the talent eleven through twenty, right? Like are more of these guys twenties, but hey, you gotta pick somebody somewhere. Or, or do you think that the talent pool is actually pretty tight and closer to being lottery guys fringe lottery guys up to 14 as opposed to being closer to really 25 but this is where the prospects are this year i think it's a compliment of the talent in this draft i think it's a good draft simply because even the worst teams have their guys right you look at detroit they have Cade and, and ivy and duran you look at even houston i mean they have Jalen green they have alperin shingun they have jabari smith so I think there's going to be a lot of really good complimentary players in this draft. You may not have, it may be a little top heavy as far, what most drafts are, but it may be a little top heavy as far as like franchise changing talents. But I feel like across the board in the first round, there are a, a bunch of guys that I think can come in and complement the team's max player or, or the team's best player. And so that's why I think it's so fluid in a sense, because some teams may be looking more so at fit now than mm. long-term potential. I mean, the way coaches are getting fired, <laughs> it's almost like <laughs> you, you may be looking for somebody that can help you win right now. And so I do think that there's going to be a even more now than in, in years past, like a, a bigger divide between coaches and, and GMs about who to pick because I mean, coaches are like, look, I don't have time for this guy that's <laughs> that's a few years away. I want somebody that can come in right now. And I think right. for a team like the Nets, I mean, you have you got your picks back, but I, I think you're trying to win now. You're not in like a rebuilding mode. Yeah, no control over at least the next couple of seasons. Their first rounders with Houston still having those. Coming up here in a second, let's talk about some of the bigger players. A couple of specific names that Rafael Barlow has has been discussing and alerting people to some information about, um, for better or worse, <laughs> we will get into Derek Lively and also Gigi Jackson here in a second. All right, we'll dive right back in on the conversation with Rafael Barlow setting the table for next month's NBA draft. And remind you, all week long, we're going to be tapping into some of the other prospects that we do not cover here in today's episode. So be sure 
to be subscribed to the Locked On Nets podcast on YouTube and wherever you get those podcast needs fulfilled. But first, we tell you about our friends over at Prize Picks, who every single day of the NBA playoffs and throughout the finals will be giving one user a, a chance of becoming a millionaire. One entry placed after 8 a.m. Eastern will be randomly selected each day, and whoever placed that entry is going to get the chance for a six-pick flex with the following payouts. Six correct picks, $1 million. Five correct picks, $80,000. Four correct picks, $16,000. Let's split it. If you win, give me half. If I win, then we'll talk about it. Full details can be found at prizepicks.com slash million. You must opt in at this link to be eligible for the million-dollar entry. Once you opt in, all you have to do is play the game like you normally would, and you could be the lucky winner. We all understand it's about picking two to six players, and if they go higher than the score, more or less on your prediction, then you're going to go ahead and win up to 25 times on your money on every entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. Obviously NBA, but NFL be coming up later in September. MLB is in full swing right now. NHL playoffs and finals are going to be coming up here too. PGA college football, men's college basketball, and so much more. You download the prize pick app or go over to prizepicks.com. You sign up today and play fantasy daily sports. First-time users can receive 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. If you deposit $100, you get $100. You deposit $50, you get $50, and on down the line, you can go. Don't forget to enter that promo code, all caps, Locked On at sign up for an instant deposit match of up to $100. Okay, so when we look back then to 21 and 22, now... When I when I originally thought at 21 or 22, if the Nets can't make a trade up, there were a lot of guys from Noah Clowney, Leonard Miller. I mentioned Derek Lively Jr. there. And I also threw in Gigi Jackson just because those last two names there specifically. Let's start with Derek Lively. Um, what has happened now coming off of his pro day where he puts on a bit of a perimeter shooting display? How has that changed where his stock is? Because all of a sudden, when I originally talked about the Nets maybe trading up around that 10th kind of pick, there were certain names I had in mind. How high is Lively risen now? Is he now out outside of the Nets' targetable range to get? It, it, I, I honestly think so. I, I think so just because he's yeah. really <laughs> – and I had to <laughs> – had to think about it. How's this going to affect the, the rest of the conversation? But uh, no, I, I think so. I mean, I thought that he shot the ball, shot the ball well at his pro day. I had tweeted about it last week at the combine that I happened to. I wouldn't say I had access to his workouts because I it wasn't like I was invited. I was just in the arena late at night uploading podcast episodes i mean you know how it is <laughs> trying to upload the episodes and try to get them up early in the morning and i was on the road so i had to use the best wi-fi available and while i was working late at night the clutch group would come in and, and the guys would get shots and i would, the first day i kind of looked to see like who's who's this in the gym so late and i just saw him in the corner just knocking down corner three after corner three after corner three and i tweeted about it after seeing it for three days and then after his pro day i I heard that he made 14 corner threes in a row. And I mean, just looking at the video at his pro day, it seems like there was hundreds of people in the, in the gym that, that saw it. So I think with his defensive performance on top of the, the potential to stretch the floor, I think that he's put himself in, in position to at least be at the back end of the lottery. 
Yeah, it's funny. We we had had discussions with uh, Nick Angstad from Locked On Mavs saying in one of those packages, getting back DFS to Dallas and the 21st pick in exchange. <laughs> now when a player like Lively performs like this at his pro day, Dallas might be one of those teams that goes, oh, no, no, we'll just stay here because we'll actually get that guy um, that maybe they thought they could still go after a little bit later in the first round. The other one that I want to touch on too, uh, maybe we'll get to Leonard here, but Gigi Jackson is a guy that I liked when I looked at him. Same thing, pro day happens. A lot of the commentary is about, boy, he looks sluggish, lethargic, don't know if, you know, maybe he's disinterested, don't know if he's going to be fully healthy. And you quickly, at least, just try to inform, I'm not going to put it any other way than that, of he's under yeah. the weather. There's been a few prospects that have been under the weather at their pro days. Um, has that has that been cleared from it, from him as far as the perception of where he is coming into the draft? Because from a prospect standpoint, I like him as much as anyone that I've looked at in that 20 to 25 kind of range, even though you're seeing him in some draft boards. At one point, he could have been in the teens. Then all of a sudden, he's yeah. at the back end of the first. He seems like he's a very fluid player from where teams look at him. Well, on one hand, like, I don't always feel like what is reported in the media is what is really how teams view guys. Like, sure. even like when I report something, I understand, I try to let my, my readers understand that this is coming from maybe one particular team, not the majority of teams. And so with Gigi, I happened to be close to the situation because he was training here in Dallas and I was doing some, some video work for like a vlogumentary that I'm doing. And he was battling bronchitis when he, when he left Dallas. And so I want to say he left Dallas on maybe the Thursday prior to the combine and his pro day was on a Wednesday. And so I was there, I was filming the pro day and um, yeah, I mean, he was coughing and, and he just wasn't a hundred percent, but he didn't come out and say, Hey, I'm sick. I got bronchitis before he just tried to do a solo workout, which to my knowledge, and I was there all week. I think there's only one other person that did a, a solo pro day. And it was Tumani Kamara. Most mm-hmm. guys did pro days with their agencies and you figure some agencies have four guys. So you're splitting reps with, with four guys. Some have 10 guys. So he basically did a solo 30 minute, workout in front of hundreds of NBA scouts while he was under the weather. And so I just wanted to add some context that that's why he may have looked winded and and so Mm -hmm. on. Um, But, you know, like I said, I had seen him multiple times throughout the summer and I thought he was in, in great shape. So, um, you know, once that is out there, then it's easy to say, Oh, well, he's falling down draft boards. Um, But I just wanted to add some context because sometimes I just feel like, you know, I may know like, the player, I may, especially like guys from Dallas, there's like eight guys in this draft class from Dallas. So I have like personal relationships with them where I can find out like, you know, what's, what's really going on. So, um, but with all that being said, I do think that he could be in the Nets range. And I, I think that with two picks, if, if they keep both picks, then he's definitely worth the gamble because first and foremost, he was the number one player in this draft in his class before reclassifying. So if you get him at 20 or 21, in my opinion, you're getting the number one pick in the 24 draft, which the Nets probably don't plan on being in position to be right, right. selecting that high in next year's draft. So I think it would be totally worth worth the gamble taking him at 20. And I shouldn't even say gamble. It would be totally worth it to take him at 20. So you right now, you'd have him as being the number one prospect in 24 if you were looking, if you were setting yeah, the it's, it's, 
why we consider to be a, a weaker class mm-hmm. and he sped up the, the the process i do think there are some people that feel like talent wise is not an issue it's just the the, the maturity and it's more so based yes. off of he's a kid that went to college in his hometown and he's hasn't really left the nest in a sense and so mm-hmm. now it's like you make the jump from Columbia, South Carolina to Brooklyn, New York with millions of dollars in your pocket. I mean, that's a huge jump. Even for adults, it would be a huge jump. So I think there is some concern about, um, you know, him just being 18 years old. I mean, he's only eligible for this draft by 14 days. If he were born two weeks later, he wouldn't even be old enough to be in this draft because the the rules state that you need to be 19 in the calendar year um, of your of the draft or something like that. So he, he just barely made it. Um, so then that being the case, cause I, I do like his game. I like his style. And I think to your point, again, if you have two picks there and the Nets don't trade one of them away, it's it certainly to call it a dart throw. seems, um, disrespectful to the talent, but it'd be worth taking that shot there before we go on to uh, guys that I think from what I'm, what I've watched without being a trained scouting eye, I really think are worth value. Even if they're being looked at as guys in the thirties or even later going to the second round pick, the nets do have one in the upcoming draft. Is there anybody else there in that 21 and 22 range? There's been a lot of talk about Ryan Rupert out of France that maybe Sean Marks is a big fan of, even though he's a little more developmental. Is there a name that I'm not mentioning here? Um, Even Keontae George, obviously out of Baylor. Is there a name or two at that 21, 22 range? that you think the Nets should specifically be looking at with the needs that they have? I mean, it depends on like, like in your opinion, what are their, their most glaring needs? And I feel like they can address the needs because they have what every team wants now, which is wings, wings that can shoot. And between the Nets and Toronto, they have the majority of them. 80% of the wings are on these two rosters. That's the way the NBA is now. So I think that in the trade market, you can address that. Uh, but as far as like, you know, a point guard. Yeah, um, talk, talk, talk to your point guard, because I think to your point, they, they can adjust with DFS, with Royce O'Neal. You can reconstruct some things. We're op- we've operated on the premise. You cannot assume that Ben Simmons is going to bring value to this roster. We know that Spencer Dinwiddie certainly showed you something coming back to Brooklyn and how he's able to facilitate the bad taste left from the playoff series, I think is, is clouding fans judgment a little bit, but you still need a primary ball handler. Who is the guy that you think could come in and legitimately have a role and impact day one for this roster? If the nets are there at 21, 22. One example, and, and it's tough because the draft range is so fluid, but if Kobe Bufkin is available, then he's someone I would strongly consider some may feel like he's more of a combo than a point. What I like about Buffkin is that he entered college young, similar like Gigi, but did not have like a great freshman year, only averaged about three points per game, and then kind of blew up as a, as a sophomore. And I think he was at like 14 or 15 points per game. But the stat that stood out to me the most was he shot 71% at the rim. And that's in college basketball where the spacing is not great. And so he's actually younger than quite a few of the prospects in this class that were freshmen. So really you're getting a guy that is the same age as some of the top freshmen, even younger, but has two years of experience and is someone that can apply pressure at the rim, which with the shooting that you guys have in Brooklyn is is much needed. So he's someone that I would strongly consider 
if he's available. And then as far as like Ryan Rupert, um, I know Ryan, he's also training in Dallas and I've been able to attend like quite a bit of his workouts and he compares himself or wants to be seen as like the next um, Mikhail Bridges. That's who we kind sure. of had himself after. <laughs> and what he mentioned to me was that he planned in France. He kind of played like a big point guard, a shooting guard. And then when he went to New Zealand to play in Australia's NBL, they kind of put him in a box as a three and D wing. And, mm. and I, and I, I mean, the three wasn't great. I mean, I think he only shot like 27% from three, but he did have a either, I think he either broke his hand or his wrist during the season, which cost him two months of action. So he started to look at, all right, if this is the role that I may have to play in the NBA as this three in, in D wing, then he started paying attention to Mikael Bridges. And what he told me that, I mean, I think you can really appreciate it on, on a Nets podcast is that he said like in Australia or New Zealand, I mean, they're both in the same league because he had to play the role as three and D he was kind of put into a box as just a defender and a guy that stands in the corner. But he said, that's a role that he thought was Bridges was playing in Phoenix. But then when he got to Brooklyn, he was able to show that he is capable of doing a whole lot more than standing in the corner. He can play yeah. plays by the ball screens. And so that's kind of his mindset is, if I have to play the Mikael Bridges Phoenix role, I'm fine with that. I'm working on my three-point shot, but I think I'm going to surprise teams with the stuff that I can do with the ball in my hands, similar to what Bridges showed in, in Brooklyn. And yeah, if you're a Nets fan, yeah, dreaming on that, of, of there being this <laughs> other level that just isn't being allowed to be showcased right now for Rupert would certainly be great. Um, Just very quickly, do you think that he is? Is he day one ready to contribute if we take all of that into account? Or is he a guy you want to see develop for half a season, a season, understanding that the Nets are kind of in this in-between. They want to be competitive, but they also do want to develop young talent. I think he can come in and contribute right away on the defensive end. The shot is still a work in progress. I think he's definitely improving, but right now I'd say his defense is ahead of his offense. But we're talking about a guy that's 6'6 for like a 7'2", 7'3", wingspan, and just has this knack for just getting his hand on, on every ball and and makes hustle plays and likes to defend. So I think on one hand, he can come in and, and help on the defensive end, but the Nets have some pretty good wing defenders in Finney Smith and, and, and Bridges. And if one of them is moved, then I think he can come in and, and, and have a role. All right, coming up here in a second, we'll talk about just a couple of deep sleepers that I was really interested in specifically. These are guys uh, coming in from overseas. We'll close out on those here with Rafael Barlow from NBA Big Board in just one moment. Okay, before we get into these couple of names, just quickly on Bufkin, um, does he have does he have the the quick quick enough first step to get at the basket? You mentioned him being able to attack at the rim at the college level, even in traffic. Um, it seems like the concern, if I want to label it that way, is is he does he have quick enough off the dribble? Can he take those defenders? He has a, a good frame, but is he he's quick enough to get at the basket at the NBA level and not be swallowed up potentially? I mean, I think so, simply because most of the plays are going to come off screens. I mean, there's very mm -hmm. few guys that are just getting the ball and they're just blowing by guys one-on-one. -on -one. A lot of it is in ball screens and you're attacking smaller bigs. So, yeah, I think that's fine. But he's a guy that I really had a hard time finding, like, glaring weaknesses for. Even if you go from the top of the draft, you can look at some of the guys that are projecting a top five. And they have a glaring weakness, whether it's the Thompson twins and their shooting whether it's Cam Whitmore and his 
you know, lack of assist and, and, and playmaking ability with Buffkin. When I did my list of strengths and did my list of weaknesses or areas of concern, I didn't find too many glaring holes. So I think that he mm. is one of the more, I don't want to say complete because that sounds crazy talking about a 20 year old, but I think he's one of the more well-rounded prospects and he's kind of just slid under the radar because he only averaged three points a game as a freshman. And then coming into the season or at the beginning of the season, Jet Howard got all the attention. So mm -hmm. I, I think that he has the tools to come in and help. And I'm not concerned about the quickness. All right. Rob Monroe, one of the uh, Locked On Nets fans, he asked about a particular player. I went and started looking at him. And then all of a sudden I convinced myself that this is a guy the Brooklyn Nets need to get. Bobby Clintman uh, out of Wake Forest also played for the U-20 team for Sweden. Um, there's a ton to like about him um, in his game, specifically like I, I'm watching him play. I'm, the offensive game is good. Then you start to look at some of the perimeter shooting. The The stroke looks looks right. Like that's something that he can certainly build off at the next level. Um, the defense was hard for me when I watched it in Sweden, just because a lot of the, the, the playmaking seemed to come off of sloppy plays by the opposition, as opposed to yeah. what he was doing, bad passes, bad court vision. But then when you got to his passing, I mean, he seems to be about as dialed in as a prospect prospect can be at his age for court awareness, spatial awareness. And it seems like when defenses start to collapse, start to close out one way, he has that very quick reaction time of understanding where that ball should go. Even if he could attack himself, he finds the right player, makes the right play. Um, ESPN at least has him up there in the fifties. You could talk about him being that second round prospect for the nets, but where do you stand on him? Cause I just, there was a ton to like about him at, and he's a legit six foot 10 player. Yeah, it's all about upside. I mean, I'm under the impression he has a promise somewhere because oh. the numbers, I mean, if you just look at the numbers, you can't see the I mean, he was on a team that was it wasn't a great team and he didn't he wasn't the most productive guy. It's easy to fall in love with the physical tools and, and the potential. I can't say it fully translated this season, but I'm just under the impression that somebody likes him. He wasn't at the combine. It's almost like um, last year with Caleb Houston. Okay. And, and and so how it relates to me kind of is that I was in Las Vegas and I was filming and I was trying to do like a, you know, some content on Caleb Houston and um, uh, Blake Wesley. And so the, the first day I was there and I usually try to like not just come in to the gym with a camera and expect the guys to do a sit down interview with me and be warm. So if possible, I try to like, just make small talk with them, watch them work out and, and film their workouts. And then maybe on day two or day three, then we have like a sit down conversation. And I feel like I get, you know, just better dialogue out of them. Well, mm -hmm. the first day I talked to Houston a little bit, filmed them. And then the second day, uh, I think that was the day that um, I want to say like the combine, the combine invites went out and he wasn't on the list. And then I started hearing rumors that he had a promise I didn't see him in Vegas the next two or three days. You didn't see any video of him doing any pro day workouts. It, it was just completely off the scene. And then he went to Orlando in the in the early 30s. And then it kind of made sense. All right, Orlando probably scouted him in, in high school because he went to high school close by. So I said all that to say this. I think Bobby, I think that's like more Bobby. I think he has a guarantee somewhere. Like he was not at the combine. I haven't seen anything about him 
working out for teams. I think somebody has made him a promise where he's comfortable with. Maybe it's the Nets. Maybe it's the yeah, maybe it's the Nets at, at 50, because I think they pick it would be right around 52 there. So if we just track the board, you track the player, and obviously that'll be an easy one for the Nets to pull the trigger on. Um, last one quickly before we let you go. Uh shout out to Iceman who threw this one out there. It's uh City, was it Sissoko? Um I, right. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna Yeah, baby, come on. See, now, now I need to go back and act like I knew like I knew this guy all along. That's right. A little cleanup on the back end. Him, although, you know, him as a player and then also right around him was also uh, Vucevic there, Tristan, uh, the power forward as well. When we talk about Sissoko, um, again, a player out of France, seems like he does a little bit of everything. It looks like he's the kind of player that like I can like him. The question is, can he survive early in the NBA as a one through three defender? There's still a lot of development in his game. How do you view him as someone who's sitting outside the first round right now, but depending on what the Nets do, maybe they trade back to shed some salary and they're there at the back end of the first round looking at guys like this. I honestly think he's a first rounder. I really do. I mean, at his size and his frame, and I've been tracking him since he was in Spain. He's, he's French, but he played in Spain last year, and he was more so of a point forward. Got off to an okay start this year, but if you look at what he did in the second half of the G League season, and one of the things that people just have completely ignored is the fact that Scoot Henderson was not good in the second half of the G League season. Right, He was not good. But City Sissoko, you can really make a case and say City Sissoko was a better player than Scoot Henderson in the second half of the season. He had some big games against, I want to say, the Memphis Hustle, which had some some guys like Jake LaRavia that, was, that were down on assignment. But one of the reasons why I think Sissoko is going to be a first-round pick, and if you look at, again, the second half of the season, he was getting to the lane and finishing with dunks. He might have been first or second in the G League out of wings and dunks. So you factor that's that something. That's saying something, yeah. Especially when there's not a – I mean, the G League probably has a little bit better spacing than college basketball, but he was on a team with – with Leonard Miller and, and other guys that don't necessarily space the floor. So I think with NBA spacing, with his ability to get downhill and and like this new, I, I don't, I, I keep joking and saying that they put a battery in his back and, and charged him up because <laughs> my biggest knock on him before was that when he did have a screen and he had a bigger man on him, he settled for step back jumpers and didn't always. Um, you know, just make aggressive plays at the rim. And so he did that in the second half of the season. And I think that's why he's going to be a, a first round pick just because of his rim pressure. And then he has the size and he has the body to where he should be able to defend multiple positions. Nets are there at 22. They take Sissoko. You think that that's, that's totally legit to take him that high? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I have him in that range anyway. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Rafael Barlow. Uh, he'll he's gonna fill you in here in a second what he does beyond the NBA big board, and there is plenty going on in his life right now. Uh, but we really appreciate it. We that's that's the jumping off point, the framework, as we said, getting a sense of if the Nets want to move up that board, are there targetable players? We got a couple of point guards, certainly, and then getting some size and some athleticism, and maybe prospects that don't look like they're being listed in the first round, but the value can certainly be there. Rafael, where can everyone find you? Yeah, I know you said I got a lot going on, but I really don't have a lot going on outside of <laughs> basketball. <laughs> well, I mean, you have a lot going on in the sense that you are doing a lot in preparation for the NBA draft. And I know you and I talked last year, I think, just before the draft, and you were like, 
I'm looking at next year's prospects, like as the draft was about to be happening a year ago. So, I mean, this is a, this yeah. is a year round full time, always on yeah. the go, always plenty of players to look at. Yeah. And last year I was, I was, you know, after a while you get bored talking about the same guys over and over again. So it's like, you know what, if I keep focusing on these guys, I'm going to start picking them apart. So let me go ahead <laughs> and be consistent with what I've already seen. And let me just look at some new guys. So, I'm about at that point this year. I just feel like, you know, at this point, either I'm only going to watch like their strengths, like their makes, or either not watch it at all because you start overthinking. And, and you know, so anyway, yeah, but NBA Big Board, the the newsletter, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. trying to at least, you know, have an article out two to three times a week. And then I have the Locked on NBA Big Board podcast, which is five days a week. And, you know, that's a lot of talking about prospects emphasis on five days a week five days a week and i've been talking about these same 20 players since august (laughs) three and a half weeks from now though it'll all be over that's only 15 more episodes yeah then there's summer league and then you got to talk about how they did a summer league but i enjoy it man i mean honestly you gave me 10 million dollars today i'm still gonna do my five episodes a week so i enjoy it just covering the draft and talking about it. But, yeah, Locked On um, NBA Big Board. Um, you can find, the, like I said, the podcast is five days a week and then the NBA Big Board newsletter. Enjoy it, everybody, uh, at Barlow500 over on Twitter as well. It's just excellent, man. We've been able to catch up every so often over the last handful of years since I joined the network with Doug. It's always informative. It's always a good conversation. I won't even say go get some re- sleep or some rest here because I know it's not possible. But thank you, as always, Raphael, for a little bit of your time. Anytime, anytime. We, if you want me on to talk about your picks in a few weeks, we can do that too. Boom. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you. And that, my friends, is how you do it. A special, special thanks to Rafael Barlow for making some time with everything he's got going on and just going through these prospects, probably at nauseum at some point for him when we think about that NBA draft. Obviously, we talked about a lot of guys inside of that conversation. There are still other players like Leonard Miller, Uh, that we want to get into. Certainly we didn't, we mentioned the name, but didn't discuss at length Noah Clowney. So there are some other ones here, Case and Wallace, maybe even as well out of Kentucky. When we talk about the spectrum of standing Pat at 21 and 22, maybe selling off one of those picks, using some of the veterans. We all know there's a lot of different ways that the Brooklyn Nets are going to be able to go next month. And we will continue to dive in on that. So be sure to subscribe over on YouTube and get the podcast wherever you get those needs fulfilled. And without Doug, as we all know, there is no quote short of saying that I miss my friend and I can't wait till he's back so we can keep talking all things Brooklyn Nets basketball.